And I was a teenager. Uh, my friends and I were playing in our garage at home and uh, we started really, really stupid thing to do. We started playing with fire and there came a point uh, in our playing that I really believed we were going to burn our garage down accidentally. Um, it had gotten out of control. The fire had gotten pretty big. Thankfully, it didn't do that. Um, but there became a time where I was really, really afraid that we were going to do that. We got the fire out and everything turned out to be okay. Um, I was in my early teens then. Imagine I come in next Sunday and I say, you guys are not going to believe what happened to me this week. Our garage burned down. What happened, Steve? I got some friends over. We were playing with fire in the garage. But you're fired. No, no you're, you've just lost your job, right? You're, you're, you can't play with fire as a 43-year-old man in the garage. Like some of you are like, you can't? No, 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 you can't do that, right? I'm, yeah, I don't know if this is news for you. That would take you aback if that story came out because you would expect maturity. My freshman year of college, uh, I was pulled over. I was racing some friends home from a bowling alley and uh, had gotten going kind of fast and, and erratic. And um, I was pulled over uh, at the time. They, they pulled me over for uh, what they believed was driving under the influence. The only thing I was under the influence of was stupidity, all right? And I freely admit to the guilt of that, all right? So um, I was under the influence of stupidity, but we had, uh, I, I had been pulled over for that and got a, a really, really expensive ticket, and it was embarrassing. Uh, but if you, you can imagine your surprise. If you read in the newspaper a couple days from now, uh, local pastor arrested for racing. And it turns out, like, I'm heading down Eldo, like, weaving it. You'd be like, our pastor's lost his mind, right? Because you would expect maturity, Right? That's something that maybe a child does, or that's something uh, maybe a very young adult, I, I was a child at the time, a very young adult uh, does, but that is not something you expect a young man to do. And this is Paul's point in Ephesians 4, it is that we expect to see uh, maturity. And uh, we've been talking uh, about the last several weeks about this vision of who we want to be that we want to be a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. And if we can move this discussion over to the spiritual realm, this is what it looks like to grow in this way. It is the maturity journey. It is that we are growing and maturing and we are beginning to look more and more like Jesus all the time. And this is great because Jesus was and is and will always be awesome. You really should want to be like him. So the fact that we have part of our mission statement that we want to look more and more like Jesus is a good thing. When you look at his love, I mean, everybody wants the Jesus kind of love in their marriage. When you look at generosity, we want to be generous like Jesus was generous. When you think about the peace that he had, uh, despite very difficult times, we all want that kind of peace. So everybody, I believe, whether they would be able to articulate it or not, Everybody wants to look and be more like Jesus. Like I said, some people may not be able to articulate it that way, but if you said, do you want more love in your marriage? They'd be like, yes. Do you want to be more generous? Yes. Do, do, do you want to be more kind? Yes. And the question we want to answer today, since this is one of our journeys, is we want people to look more and more like Jesus. I want to look more and more like Jesus, is how does that happen? So Paul writes this, uh, the, the book of Ephesians, to a church uh, in the city of Ephesus, it was a major, major city in the day. It was uh, the, the ep an epicenter of training, and the city had been involved in all kinds of idolatry and, and worship. And when Paul comes to that city in the book of Acts, 
um, when he comes to that city, he does these miracles and he preaches this message. And this amazing thing happens in Ephesus. This must have been an incredible, incredible sermon because Paul preaches the sermon and listen to what happens. Many of those who believed uh, now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. That's called church, right? That, that is called journeying together to look more like Jesus. And it is an awesome story in the book of Acts that Paul preaches this sermon. The Holy Spirit comes and everyone confesses their evil deeds. They, they burn their, their, their scrolls that they had been following and they, they gave their lives to Jesus. And this is what it looked like in Ephesus, that the church was looking more and more like Jesus every day. And then at some point, Paul started to hear some things about this church. And what had started out with passion and fire and amazement had kind of grown cold and stale, and Paul is concerned. So he writes to them uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 1. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, a grace has been given just as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave, uh, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until each one uh, reach, reaches a unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God who, and, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, no longer going to be kids, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. So I want to show you in Paul's own words what he thinks ought to be the goal of this Ephesian church, and I believe of ours. He says, the goal is that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Back when I was in college, it would be what you would consider to be uh, the church growth boom of the church. Uh, that every uh, church wanted to know how you make it bigger, how you make it larger. And I will tell you, if you go back to the 90s and even to a certain extent today, you will find thousands of books written on this subject. How you get bigger, how you get larger, how you attract people, how you do all of these things. And he here's the concern. When larger becomes the chief goal, or worse yet, when larger becomes the only goal, it ushers in a whole new set of problems. Here's why. If larger is the only goal, then you come to passages like when Jesus said, whoever wants to gain his life must lose it. 
And you begin to talk about losing your life in Christ, giving up what you love, giving up what you care about, and following Jesus with great passion. You come to passages like that, and you're like, I don't think that's going to sell very well, right? I don't think that's going to help us get larger. So you decide to just not preach on passages like that. Larger can't be the goal. Paul would say, stronger has got to be the goal. Paul would say healthier has got to be the goal. Now, when a church is strong and healthy, do they grow? Yes, just like kids, right? I don't have to teach my kids to grow. I just have to feed them and water them and watch it happen, right? right? So, so, but strength and health have got to be the goal, and Jesus will take care of the rest. And look at what Paul says. When the body is strong, when the body is healthy, people grow in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining the whole measure and fullness of Christ. And this is exactly what we want to see happen. We want to see people changed. We want to see people transformed. We want to see people walk into the fullness of Christ, that they are like him, they are imitating him, they are treating each other the way Jesus would treat them, that we are a family growing together to be more like Jesus. We want his love to embrace our marriages, his, uh, his grace to invade our lives, his righteousness to invade our workplace. The key is growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. Let me make this super clear. We don't make people mature, right? You can't do that. You can't make anyone mature. Have you ever tried changing someone before? Some of you are like, I've been trying that for 30 years, right? It's not working. You can't change anyone. You can't do that. The only thing, the only person who can do that is the son of God. And so Paul makes it very clear. The key to maturity, the key to growing in the the fullness of Christ, the, the key to growing in that way is to know Jesus. It is to know Jesus. And there is a difference between knowing things about Jesus and really knowing Jesus. And this supernatural thing happens when we know Jesus. We don't just know about him, we know him. This supernatural thing happens and the spirit shows up and Paul says later, begins to transform us into the image of our savior. But it starts, your part of this is to know him. The spirit's going to do his part. Your part of it is to know him to know him, to know him, to know him. And watch the spirit show up and begin to change you and transform you and make you more and more like Jesus. A few years ago, uh, multiple years ago now, but a church in Chicago, a really large mega church, uh, surveyed their people. And they surveyed a group of people as part of this study. It was called the Reveal Study. As part of this study, they talked to people that were articulating that they were growing in their faith, they were becoming more like Jesus, that they were maturing. And they said, we would like to hear from you. You've articulated that this is you. You're maturing in your faith. We would like to find out from you how exactly this came to be. How is it that you're growing and maturing in your faith? And they expected to hear something like, oh, I went to this special class. And uh, this uh, class just changed and transformed my life forever. Or uh, I engaged in this ministry. Or they, they expected to hear something like, like that, that they were in part of a specific kind of church program or, or function. But those that were growing the fastest and changing the most said the reason that they changed and the reason tr- they transformed, but person after person said it this way, they attributed it to their closeness to Jesus. They said, I have just gotten close to Jesus and he has changed me and he has transformed me. And they articulated a couple disciplines that helped them do this, like Bible reading. 
Well, person after person articulated that, man, when I read God's word, I feel closeness to Je- I feel a closeness to Jesus, and his spirit changes me and transforms me. They talked about uh, prayer. Um, they talked about day-to-day connection. They talked about not forsaking the gathering um, at, at, with their church family. And it says that when they engaged in these types of disciplines, these day-to-day disciplines, not a special class, not a special ministry, day-to-day activities, week-after-week activities, they felt this closeness to Jesus, and he changed them from the inside out. One guy in the survey said he was a new Christian, And he said, every morning I get up, I read my Bible, I pray, and I don't leave for work until I feel the presence of Jesus. He said, so I will keep reading and I will keep praying. And if if I'm late for work, I'm late for work. (laughs) This is what he said. He said, I don't leave for work until I feel the presence of Jesus residing with me because I don't want to go to work without the presence of Jesus. I don't wanna do marriage without the presence of Jesus. I don't wanna raise my kids without the presence of Jesus. So he said, I just get up, I start reading, and when I feel that closeness, when I feel that energy with Jesus, then I, I know I'm in good shape because that is when the spirit invades. It is closeness to Jesus. And he invades our lives and he begins to make us more and more like him. That's how maturity happens, right? It's not just a a maturity 101 class, right? Although that's fine, right? It's not a specific church program. It is closeness to Jesus. So you say, man, how can I grow in my faith? How can I mature? Pray, get close to Jesus, read your Bible. Don't forsake the gathering of this place. Just be as close to him as you can be and watch what the spirit does. And so I have all these books on my shelf trying to teach how you, uh, how, how you like grow a church. One of them uh, amuses me a great deal whenever I see it. It says, 10 stupid things churches do that keep them from growing. I, I have that book on my shelf, 10 stupid things churches do. And it will talk about you know, not having an appealing worship service, not having a good location or a dynamic kids ministry, all that stuff. I have another book that's called Communicating for a Change. And it talks about the role of the preacher, the role of, of the communicator. I get depressed whenever I see this book. Right, about how far I have to come communicating God's word. I have a book on my shelf called The Cell Church. It talks about having a thriving small group ministry. And listen, I don't think a single one of those things are bad ideas. I wanna be a better communicator. I believe in small groups, right? And I believe in having a great worship service and all of that stuff. But man, the number one thing I wanna communicate to you is be close to Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. Be close to Jesus. A passionate pursuit of our church family towards Jesus. That's what I want to articulate because it's through him we mature. It's through him that we'll change. It's through him we'll transform. Some of you have been trying to play Jesus with people in your life. And you think if you say a certain thing or do a certain thing, they'll finally change. Spoiler alert, they won't because you're not their Holy Spirit and you're not their savior. The greatest thing you can do is to point them to Jesus and be a reflection of who Jesus is. 
because closeness to Jesus is what will change us and transform us. So Paul tells us, tells this church in Ephesus, if you want to be a church where people are maturing and changing and becoming more like Jesus, this is what you, you need to do and this is what you need to look like. And like I said, this, this is the part of it that kind of surprises me when Paul goes on from this idea of growing in the fullness of Christ, being close to Jesus. He says, now here are a couple things that I want to give you to focus on, church. And this is where you would expect Paul to say, start a Be Like Jesus class. Start a Be Like Jesus ministry. Start, start something like this. And Paul uh, takes it down a notch from there. And he says, here's what I want your church to concentrate on. If you are fully engaged in helping people see Jesus and be close to Jesus, these are a couple things that you as a church need to focus on. Here's what Paul says. Number one, there's two of them. Number one is be committed to unity. When you read through this text, it sounds like a change of subject, which Paul is prone to, right? <laughs> Paul is prone to changing the subject. This is actually not a change of subject. I actually like how he says it in verse three. He says, make every effort to be unified. And here's why he says it that way. Unity takes effort. Because there is so much, you look around this room right now, there is so much that naturally divides us. Right, let me demonstrate this to you. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Pepsi. All right, we're strangely unified on that, actually. But, all right, um, action flick or romantic comedy? Action. Romantic comedy. All right. Uh, Cubs or Cardinals? Cubs. You can come out. It's okay. Cardinals. This is a safe place. All right. All right um, Weekend getaway, St. Louis or Indianapolis? St. Louis, Indianapolis, right? So you see, the key to unity is not simply getting along. Sometimes I think we unintentionally give that impression that unity is like stuff your feelings, right? Stop having opinions and just get along. That is not how the Bible describes unity at all. Let me put this on the screen for you. The key to unity is recognizing the things that are truly important and circling the wagons around those things. That's what unity is. Unity is saying these are the things, and Paul has just articulated, by the way, what this is. This is helping people introduce, uh, learn about, and be introduced to Jesus. It's all about Jesus in Paul's mind. So, so he says, man, when you understand what is truly important, this is what, what unity is. It's just recognizing what's really important, which is Jesus, and then circling the wagon around those things. Verses four through four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Paul says this is what it's all about. Be unified around Jesus, around your relationship to him and introducing others to him. Be unified around Jesus because he is who is going to change this culture. He is who is going to change your neighbor. He who is, is the one who is changing you. Be unified around Jesus. It is in him we find maturity and it is in him that we find change. So we're unified around him. And the, the flip side of this, right, if unity is being circling the wagons around Jesus, saying this is the hill we'll die on, this is the thing that's most important, this is who people needs, then there's a counter argument here about guard against disunity. You know why the Bible is so opposed to disunity? That when you've circled the wagons around Jesus, that all of a sudden you become uh, disunified over something else? Why the Bible tells us so much to guard against disunity is because disunity distracts from Jesus. 
I've seen churches where at one point in their history, they were all about Jesus. And then you walk into that church on a Sunday morning and now all they talk about is drums, right? Or they were at one point all about Jesus and now all of a sudden they're like talking about paint color. Or they were all about Jesus and now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're talking about some program that ended and all of a sudden it's not about Jesus. And the church stops maturing, they stop growing, and they stop seeing lives changed. Why? Because they stopped circling the wagons around Jesus and they substituted Jesus for drums. Not a good thing to do, right? They substituted Jesus for paint color or carpet color or whatever the case may be and they stopped introducing people to Jesus. You know what Paul will say, or uh, what John will say later in Revelation? Um, that, that he, uh, John in Revelation actually addresses this church in uh, Ephesus, and he says in Revelation that your lampstand, uh, church in Ephesus, your light is about to go off. And you know why he says this to Ephesus? It's really amazing what he says. He says, you have lost your first love. I don't know what happened in Ephesus. I really don't. But I know at some point they stopped circling the wagons around Jesus, and they substituted Jesus for something less than. And Paul says, you have lost your first love and your light is about to go off. That's how important this is. I used to um, walk, uh, working in uh, admissions department at my alma mater, and uh, that, that I wasn't very good at that job. <laughs> um, Cheryl, we were driving home actually yesterday and we were talking uh, I was talking about that job for some reason. I don't remember why. Cheryl said, I have a hard time seeing you like in a sales role like that. I said, yeah, I was pretty bad at it. So <laughs> I, I was, you know, whereas I, if you want to come to college, come to college. If you don't, you know, cool, whatever. You know, and the college doesn't like that as a sales pitch, right? <laughs> so they want you to say, it's not cool if you don't come. You come, right? And uh, so I wasn't very good at that. But anyway, that job had me in a lot of different churches, and what I started to notice when I'd be in these churches is that in many, many churches that I visited, there was like a generation missing. Like you'd be up uh, on the stage talking, and you'd be like, man, there's like nobody in their 20s in this church. That's weird. Or there's nobody in their 40s in this church. That's weird. Or sometimes there's nobody in their 60s or, or 70s in this. It's weird. And you, you'd start to notice that. And what I discovered over time was that if you went back in that church's history, at some point, there was usually a major church conflict where Jesus got substituted for something else. It's like, all right, Jesus is fine, but we're going to fight about worship now. Right? Jesus is fine, but we're going to fight about renovation. Jesus, we're, we're going to fight about this. And you go back in their history, sometimes 50 years, you'd go back and you would discover that there was a major conflict over a less than Jesus issue, and they lost an entire decade of person. And they just never recovered from it. And so years down the road, you're like, there's nobody that's 40 here. Or there's nobody that's 50 here. Or there's nobody that's 20 here. And that conflict wasn't too far back then. You usually don't have to surmise that there was a conflict when it's that close. Usually you walk into the room and you're like, oh. You haven't even talked to anybody and you're like, oh. Something's going on here, right? Not, not good. And what I had discovered in that job was that Often when Jesus moved off of front and center and got substituted for something else, you ended up missing a whole, at times, generation of person. And it's a lesson to me. Jesus must be front and center. He must be the main attraction 
We must be, we must circle the wagons around him. So Paul says, be committed to unity. And then the second thing he says is be committed to service. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. So he talks about these preparatory gifts, apostles, pastors, teachers, and prophets. And he says their role is to prepare the church to use their gifts to serve the church. And I think we also have a responsibility to to serve the world. I certainly do believe that. But this particular text is talking about we prepare people for works of service within the body of Christ. In other words, Paul says the church is not full of spectators. The church is full of servants. And I love the motivation for service because sometimes we get this wrong. We're going to talk about this more a little bit, but next week, sometimes our motivation for service becomes feeling good about ourselves or making a big contribution in the world. Um, Sometimes in some churches, uh, getting people to service so they'll get plugged in so they don't eventually leave. But Paul says the goal of service in the body of Christ is that we would be, uh, that, that the church would be built up and that people would come to faith in Jesus and grow in their knowledge of him. Again, it's all about Jesus. Paul says, I want you to serve. I want you to pour your life out so that others through your service can see Jesus, know Jesus, grow in their faith of Jesus and be changed and transformed, not by your service, but by Jesus. Again, it is all about Jesus. It is like Paul beats this drum with reckless abandon. Jesus, 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 introduce people to Jesus, point people to Jesus, help people know him better. We, and we need people in every ministry that are committed to doing this at Northwest. Every area, of, 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 every area that we have here, we need people committed to the Jesus mission because it is so important and he makes a difference. So like on Sundays here, we have greeters, a lot of greeters around here. I want you to know you're not just shaking hands. You're not just shaking hands or smiling. You're helping people feel loved so that through your love, they might recognize the love of Jesus. In addition to that, you're helping people feel welcomed so that their anxiety about coming into a new church is not a distraction from the meeting to Jesus. Some of you are in our kids' ministry. And I want you to know you're not just babysitting kids. You're not just babysitting kids. You are introducing kids to Jesus, maybe for the first time, that they will love him and they will follow him and they will eventually give their life to him and their lives will be changed because they knew Jesus because of your service. Even in our nursery, you may not know this, but when you pick your kids up from nursery, we are teaching those little babies to love God's word and to love Jesus and to begin to recognize him. Some of you serve on our property team. Listen, you're not just mowing the lawn. You're not just setting the thermostat. You're not just cleaning the building. You are preparing this space to receive people, to know Jesus and worship Jesus and be changed and transformed by Jesus. Some of you are on our worship team and you don't just play an instrument. You don't just sing. You are leading people into the throne room of God that they might know Jesus, worship Jesus and be changed and transformed by Jesus. Some of you are on our outreach teams, evangelism, Oak Grove, missions, and you are helping people outside of this building to know Jesus, worship Jesus, and be changed and transformed by Jesus. And I know I sound like a broken record, but Paul sounded like one too, so I'm just articulating what he said. Back in the 80s and 90s, the Big C Church was going through a major transition. Uh, And one of those transitions was in the area of worship. Bands were being introduced more instruments, more singers. 
And um, when, back when I was in college, you heard about church after church, up in Michigan especially, where I was at the time, um, that were experiencing splits because of this uh, stylistic difference. And I think now you're seeing a different thing. I know very few churches anymore that are fighting about music. Most churches have made the transition and it's not a source of argument anymore. Satan tried to attack our unity. Most churches recovered from that. Unfortunately, some didn't, but most did and have moved forward. I think what you're seeing now in the church is an attack on our contribution. That church is set up and look at the way even we're set up where I'm preaching from a stage and we have spectators that are watching me teach God's word. And I believe I'm preaching, believe me, I do. But sometimes even the way that we're set up encourages spectatorship. And I think this is a new kind of attack on the church is that many churches, we're honestly pretty good about getting people plugged in, but many churches, the room is so large and the lights are so bright and people slip in and out every week and all they do is watch. And then they go home. And Paul says a church that is strong, a church that is healthy, is a church full of people that are pouring their lives out in service so that through their service, people, not that they're gonna be impressed by your service, but that they're gonna see Jesus through your service. And that by welcoming them, they're gonna be readied to see Jesus. By worshiping with them, they're gonna be readied to see Jesus. By hearing God's word, they're gonna be readied to see Jesus. By having a clean, nice space, they're gonna be readied to see Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So one of the greatest questions you can ever ask in the kingdom of God is what can I do to help introduce people to Jesus? These are my gifts, these are my abilities, this, this is who I am, what can I do? And again, I'm not your Holy Spirit, or your savior, I'm the guy right now that happens to have a microphone that is preaching God's word, that's all I am. And so I wanna encourage you to seek Jesus in that. What can you do? What are your gifts? What are your abilities? How can you help people in this room and outside of this room learn more about Jesus and learn to love him and have their lives transformed by them? Because churches that are maturing, they are committed to unity, they have, they have circled the wagons and in the middle of the circle is Jesus. And they're not going to be dissuaded from that at all. Jesus is the main thing. They're committed to that. And they are committed to servants. I will lay down my life. I will serve. I will, I will help prepare people to meet Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for the difference that he makes. And um, Lord, I thank you for our church family and how many people that we do have here um, that um, uh, are not, they're not spectators in any stretch of the imagination. They are, they are serving and they are greeting and they are teaching and they are worshiping and they are working around our property and they are doing all of these things to help introduce people to Jesus. And we know it's Jesus that will change us. It is Jesus that will transform us ministries and classes and worship services are great, but they will fail every time if the point of them is to not point people to Jesus. So help us to remember that. Help us to never lose sight of that. We don't ever want to just be interesting. We don't ever want to just be funny. We don't ever want to just be entertaining. We want to point people to Jesus. Help us to remember that. It is in his name we pray. Amen.